Hi everybody and welcome to the episode two of the Endless Health Stats Trap. I hope you're all well who's listening. And as always, our show sponsor is Beer52. You know the drill now, subscription service, beer52.com forward slash sells, claim your free, your case of beer, cover the postage, and then it's a monthly term after that that you can cancel any time. But in terms of the basis of the show, we're going to look back at the Celtic and Motherwell game and the RB Leipzig and Celtic game, both domestically and European. I know we're fresh off a victory yesterday, but our guys are doing a reaction podcast that tomorrow. So we be unfair if we uh, crack on and give our take on it. So we'll leave it to the end of sales last tomorrow. Tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on YouTube. But already in, Kukum the Chef, Hail Hail, Brian Kelly, Egyptian King, Anthony Donna, very own, and Strange Stuff the Doctor. Good to have you in this early on. But coming to yourself, Tony, mate, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Good, um, man, good. I took my daughter to her first away game um, yesterday, so she got to experience um, uh, the opposition scoring an injury time, and then Celtic just saying we'll take one of them as well. So she got to experience that um, atmosphere at the end of the game. So that was good. Well, she got the experience Celtic doing it the hard way, as usually yeah. they always do, don't they? Well, baptism of fire, so to speak. But then we we'll have a debut on the show from the Celtic way, Stuart Ross. How are you, buddy? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks, how are you? I'm fine, man. I'm fine. I was looking forward to this all day, to be honest. Like, I was out myself at a restaurant with the family and that and had a nice meal, as I said to you before we came on there. If there was an XG for eating burgers, I'd be right at the top, like, because I'm absolutely busted. But as I said, we'll get to like, the premise of the show and we'll start with the Celtic and Motherwell game. Now, Tony, obviously, myself, as I always make everyone aware, I'm not clued up in stats. This is a learning process for me, as it is for you to involved and everyone watching along. So, again, feel free in the comments to chip in with what you think. Challenges and whatever we say, it's all welcome. But just to give the overall broad stats of a game we won 2-1 in against Motherwell at home, we had 70% possession, 17 shots, 6 on target, 7 corners and 10 fouls. What a FIFA way to go about stats, isn't it? That's what you get in FIFA at half-time. You get the wee, wee drop down and see what you've done. But in terms of that overall, I mean, a lot of questions have been asked about the attacking side at the moment in terms of lack of goals. Is it a confidence thing? But just broadly speaking, Tony, what, what are you saying and what's the stats kind of thrown up at the minute in terms of the attack, an attacking sense? Yeah, so the way I sort of tend to look at a game and look at it, as we talked about, um, a stats and is ever evolving it helps me look at the game differently now and will continue to evolve with that as well so the way i sort of look at a game now is look at sort of three parts the first part is just performance how was was that a good performance um the second part is there any stylistically um about the game about what about the style of how we played um or any trends in the game just throughout like the 15 minute spell so the second part's about does that tell you anything different or um anything unique um, in the way Celtic are playing or any hidden stats and then the third thing is just players individual players is there anyone that sort of stands out as good or, or not so good um, so for the Motherwell game um, yeah there was a lot of uh, sort of a lot of angst about the performance people sort of um, feeling it wasn't a great performance but I think I think for me that was a bit misguided uh, it, it was a scoreline the scoreline of 2-1 and the fact that um, Hatati's bad pass near the end had people were a bit worried. I think that that's just maybe fixed to, in, on people's minds too much. Because if you look at the underlying stats for, for performance, 
and from an XG differential point of view, it was the second best performance of the season. So if, if you look at the stats, it, it, it was 3.39 XG versus 0.28 um, XG against. So didn't, Motherwell didn't really look like scoring, and their only goal was from a, an error, um, which, which I don't know if there's any stats that can back up whether it was Hart's error, Juranovic's error, hmm. or, or a bit of both, you know what I mean? But um, so yeah, I, I think I think the scoreline is, is worried people. So if if we had got three or four goals like the XG had suggested, we, we would be expected to, um, <coughs> or that error didn't happen and Motherwell didn't score. There's no as much negativity coming away from the game. So I think from a performance point of view, um, I was at the game and, and it didn't feel the best of performances. But I think the underlying stats would say second best performance. On, on the underlying stats, um, and it wasn't as bad as people make out. The other thing I look at with XG is um, post-shot XG. So if you look at the post-shot XG, it was 1.72, which is our second lowest of the season. So the best way I could summarise um, the performance against Motherwell was it wasn't as bad as people say, we just didn't finish our chances. I mean, I do want to address one thing in the comments here by Frank Kennedy. Good luck, good luck, and get well soon, Frank McGarvey. A hundred percent. Wish him well and his family. Our best wishes from the NSL's podcast. Go to him and his family and his friends and the wider football circle involved with Celtic Football Club. But coming back to you, Tony, in terms of what you're saying yeah. about the Motherwell game, get well, Frank. I was, speak, I was speaking to him a, a few weeks ago in um, the penalty spot. Um, we um, had a good chat with him. So good bit to get well soon, Frank. Yeah, hundred percent. We're all behind that one, Tony. But in terms of the, the match itself, I mean, from my point of view, I watch games with my grandfather, who's a regular watcher along here with with us in the podcast, and it didn't look to me a pretty of game as you, as the XG suggests, as you said it did, our second best performance. So what what do you take from? Does that prove sometimes that the whole XG thing can be wrong, or is it more of a co- course of over a period of time that becomes correct? What way does that work then? Yeah, so XG is probably it's designed to be um, measured on a long term basis. Do you know what I mean? So it's, again, even even a long term basis that uh, it's still not an exact science. Do you know what I mean? It's a guide. So over an individual game, it's going to be more likely to have a bigger variance. But even even with that, if you just look to the XG, you say that Celtic performed better. But the post-shot XG would say they just didn't finish the chances. So from a performance point of view, we dominated the game. We created chances. We restricted Motherwell's chances. We just didn't take our chances. I think that was the best way to summarise it. Just the finishing boots weren't on the day. Kyogo had think, yeah. it was, uh, 2.2, I think it was, XG um, on the game. and <coughs> We just didn't finish our chances. And I think that's the best way to look at it. Yeah, it was only in games that a couple of years back probably would have been the, the no-luck story where you're hitting all the shots but not getting the goals. I know we got two goals in the end and won the game, Stuart. And what Tony said there, I mean, the whole XD thing is quite interesting to know that's the second-best performance in terms of that stat of the whole league campaign. But I know, broadly speaking, you're going to be talking about the RB, RB Leipzig game in more detail, but what, what do you think about what Tony said there in terms of that Motherwell game? Yes, there's context because obviously we had the um, defeat at St Mirren. You've got a long international break. First game back, Motherwell going quite well. They were probably, I think, underperforming in terms of XG, X points, stuff like that. So, yeah, it was just one of those, if that's in the middle of a kind of a, a heavy schedule, it's a midweek game, you just go, right, tick, move on. But 
there was so much kind of so much else going on, like that, like I said, that two week break and all, all that. And you know, it's understandable people are a bit edgy, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> by the way, we're what a 0.28 XGs, but like, like Tori was saying, like, it was really it's hard, obviously, because we're all fans and you're watching it and you get nervous and that. But when you watch it back after, when you know, you know, it probably wasn't that, even after Hattie, you know, sells McGregor short and. Get the red. That pro- there probably wasn't there wasn't really anything even after that was there. So yeah, I think it's it's always putting context on top of these things as well. So yeah, like I say, it was a big break. Obviously, first time first time the season's dropped points just before the international break. Everyone's got two weeks to stew on it. You come back and again, you might be thinking there might be a bad drop points at Tynecastle at lunchtime before. So yeah, that obviously didn't work out at all. So yeah, I think that's. That's maybe where I think the kind of people's perception of that game came from. Like, see, I think if it's in the middle of a run, it's just you just tick off and say, "Look, well, like, like Toy Sale just didn't have a shooting boots on." But if if somebody takes one or two of these, then it's absolute, you know, it's a it's a pretty comfortable afternoon. But yeah, that just a, a few kind of different bits and pieces going on, which maybe just. Uh, Kind of remind you that you need to put context on top of these things as well, just not look at them purely on the just the numbers. That there, there's always you know other you know factors going on that influence the way people see it. I think it's yeah. just, you've got to have the the, the, the three things, and you've got the result. Yeah. You've got you've got the, the the advanced stats that you can look into help, and then you've got to be what you see as well. That's the third thing, just what you see, because at the game, at exactly as Stuart said, at the game, I was like. You could tell the players looked just a little bit of St. Murn hangover was still in their mind. It was you could you could just sort of feel as if it was a bit of nervousness. I did look to see if there was any stats to back that up, as in less passes, so it wasn't as much passes or passing accuracy maybe down, but nothing really shone through. But that doesn't mean you say it's not there because you could tell at the game that they did feel feel that little bit of nervousness still there. Yeah, I think when you were watching it from my point of view, it did seem like that. It took me about 15 minutes to get an abs- a stream that worked. It was a shambles that day. It was raging, proper angry, not being able to get it, the full 90, but I, I caught up with most of it. But in terms of that, Tony, there was obviously the defensive fault, and there's been a few recently. And we'll talk about this one. That was between Uralovich and Joe Hart. Now, I asked you to look at Ralston, per se, in terms of in terms of stats and things like that. There was a lot of clamour after this game to maybe drop Uralovic and give Ralston the chance. He came in yesterday, obviously, at, at McDermott Park against the Johnson. But in terms of Uralovic himself too, we were talking about it on Friday. I think, personally, he's dropped from what he, he was doing. He doesn't seem to be getting in the right positions, especially coming into the inverted centre midfield kind of role that Posta Colby likes. And the, his link-up play and his touch just seems a bit off. Is there anything coming through? From coming through? It sounds like a seance there, doesn't it? I thought it was the most talented. But is there anything shining for you in terms of stats there that you should be concerned about or is it just a drop of form? Um I've got like the so Juranovic versus Ralston stats. Um nobody else has got Juranovic versus last year, so don't know about when they drop mm. off. I can always look into that. Um I know you'll get some some in the camp that that Juran, uh, Ralston should be getting a game and and, and, and you I've heard loads of comments of that. You've got other ones who are saying that Juranovic is a different level and it's not even competition. I'm probably more in the middle where I think it should still be Juranovic, but I don't think there's as big a gap as the, the pro-Juranovic camp sort of thing yeah. there is. 
Um, but I still think Juranovic is that better player. But the stats actually, right backs are hard one to look at stats. See if you're a forward or you're a creative player, you're looking at XA, XG, crosses, passing, etc. When you're a right back, you're part of a, a back four and, and how many goals you concede and things like that. So it's quite hard individually. But I did look at some um, and the ones I looked at. So um, passing accuracy. So And this is just for this season. So Ralston's is only mm-hmm. really a couple of games. But if you look at per 90 for, for all these stats, so passing accuracy, Juranovic 85.2, Ralston 86.2. So one of the things from an eye point of view, you wouldn't necessarily put Ralston above Juranovic for that, but um, a, a key passes per game, Ralston 2.4 versus 1.7 Juranovic. Um, passes per 90, 79 for Ralston, 59 for Juranovic. Tackles, Ralston 2.4. versus 1.4 and an 83% success versus 71% Juranovic. Interceptions, 1 for Ralston versus 0.7. Clearances, 4.3 versus 1. Even long balls and short balls, etc. Crosses, um, 5.3 versus 2.8 and a success rate of 55% versus 32. Um, Fouls, Ralston's got a bit more, um, 1.4 versus (laughs) 0.1. Well, actually, sometimes, like, a game in Germany, I, I don't think Ralston would have been a massive um, a change on the team because I know people talk about Juranovic blamed for the, for the first goal. I, I, I wasn't necessarily in that camp because I think it's just uh, the speed, do you know what I mean, of, of who he's up against. Um, but where I would see the difference is through the game, Ralston might have that physical presence and, and just let the, the forwards know they're there a little bit. Um, the only other bit is... is um, so, well, or sorry, your XA per 90, um, Ralston's um, 0.31 versus um, Juranovic 0.24. But the one the, the thing that stuck out for me when I was looking at Ralston, this is something I looked at sort of last year. Um, so Ralston last year um, was 0.36 um, assists per 90, which was fourth in the league. All the players in the league, forwards, everywhere. It was fourth in the league at 0.36. That's unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what he had last year. So uh, you could you could make an argument based on the stats, but as I say, that's not everything um, that that um, Ralston could come in and do a job. But I noticed there was someone on Twitter yesterday saying bring in Ralston to play Juranovic in McGregor's position. That um, there's obviously a shout in there, but um, so no, I, I think I think um, Ralston's. Ralston's a, a player that I, I really like and I think he's got something to offer, but I would probably still be in the Juranovic the um, as, as the first pick. See, that's quite interesting. I mean, you're into your stats, Tony, and every stat you named, big Ralston was coming out and top. Now, Stuart, I'll come to you for this one. From me, hearing them numbers, right, and there's people in the chat saying what's going on, it's, it's all about, obviously, defensive stats and expected assists and clearances, pass accuracy, that type of thing. As you always say, it's a, it's another process myself, so just hang with it. But sure, I mean, when, when you look at that, and I hear them stats, what that's saying to me is Ralston. Even though personal preference is relevant, but going by stats, Ralston should be first pick. Is that not the way that should work? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's like I kind of touched on there. It's, it's caught it, it's like we've touched already. It's not just the numbers, it's the whole kind of, you know, does 
there's Ralston fit the system as well as Juranovic. You know, that's a maybe kind of cliche thing to say. But do you know what? I think a few people have mentioned it before in terms of Postcoggle is always going to want the fullbacks to come inside, do the inverted stuff. Just don't I think Ralston has done it and he's done it a few times already this season, come in and played some really nice balls in behind as well. But I don't know if he's quite got the that's an eye test kind of thing that he's just not quite on the same level as Ralph in terms well, of can, technical ability. Can I push back you on that one? I mean, you're saying they're obviously the, the inverted full back and that type of thing, but Tony gave me his passing accuracy and he's ahead of Juranovic. So how does that not say he doesn't fit the system? If you, if, I'm uh, not trying to obviously that, yeah. question everything, but I'm just wanting to know. Yeah. No, 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 that's, I suppose that, Tony, that would just be general passes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, you, yeah. You, I do have you have it for long balls and short balls as well. Yeah, um, and, and, but it's all context it's, as well. Ralston's games yeah. are against St Johnston, St Mun. Do you know what I mean? Yadanovic has got a, a, a game against Rangers there, Aberdeen, etc. Um, so it, it's all it's all context. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 if you want some stats, there's some stats, but they don't tell you everything. Yeah, aye, but what, I, I, what, I, what, I'm, what, what I'm saying, Stuart, is right. I know it's against uh, St. Johnson, St. Mern, but that's fair enough, right? And <laughs> Monday comes in, I have big balls. I'm sure you do, big son. But I mean, you, you look at a Stewart as well, and I'm just trying to get them head. I'm not trying to create a, a, a fuss or anything in terms of that, but what the, the, the data is you guys like to look into is saying to me that Ralston is ahead of Joranovitz, right? And I know for fine, fine well in the system, he, he works in it because... I mean, Yakimakis loves playing with him in terms of his cross balls, and he links on really well for Bada. So, why do you think, Stuart, that he's still behind Relevich? I, I don't know exactly what I think. He is just that, you know, again, not repeat, but, you know, the the, the stats don't tell you everything. Like you said, it's, uh, I, I'd probably want to maybe go away and look at it a bit more in terms of more advanced, kind of, you know, progressive passes and other types of passes and just, you know, general ones because, you know, you can get your pass accuracy up by just playing it inside the centre-back every time. It's <laughs> an easy true. ball, but it's those. And like you say, Ralston can do it as well. He's shown he can do it. Um, but in terms of right now, I'm not 100% sure. I need to probably look at it in a bit more detail. But, you know, I, I don't like it's anyone can say Juranovic is playing as well as he was last season. That's probably yeah. fair, but I still don't think there's I think there's, based on yesterday and trying not to, to step on your guys' toes forever, I think there's a, <laughs> there's a shorter gap in terms of the level between Taylor and Bernabeu than there is between Juranovic and um, Ralston. Even the stats, I just, it's one of those ones that's probably the, probably the, the eye test. But yeah, like I say, I'd, I'd probably need to go away and look at it in a bit more detail, but I think it probably comes down to that technical ability, maybe fitting the system better, and suitability, like you said, Ralston maybe maybe is maybe he just looks and goes, yeah, I've got two good fullbacks. Mm. There's an argument one is better than the other, one is better than the other on stats, one is better than the other maybe on the eye. But you know, maybe he just thinks Jaravich is better suited for the bigger games for European football. Whereas Ralston, you know, in terms of that, he's got he make an argument potentially better physicality. So he's better suited to playing, you know, the domestic games at the weekend. So, well, yeah. that would be kind of guessing. 
we said said earlier about like so you've got actual results, then you've got underlying stats, then you've got what your eye tells you. That's three things. I think the fourth one is always your personal bias as well. So your personal bias yeah. is, comes in. If you're a Ralston fan, you'll 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 look at that physicality as a positive. Um, if you're a Juranovic fan, you'll look at that positioning and 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 you'll you'll favour that. So you'll have that personal bias as well. As I say, I, my gut feel I, I do like Ralston. My gut feeling is that Juranovic has got that little bit more. Um, how do you define that? I don't know. Because I know, as Stuart said, about different types of passes, but even on the long balls, he's averaging 11.4 versus Juranovic 5.8, and accuracy is 50 versus 43. So even when you, you, you keep going into Ralph, because you would think Ralston offers different things to Juranovic, but you wouldn't expect the passing accuracy to be best. Just looking but, but, uh, from, from an eye point of view, you wouldn't expect it. So... Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good a good question and a good debate, Stephen. So, I think as well, like what it does show, I mean, Ralston's rise from when he got offered that one year deal is kind of a stopgap. He took that opportunity and he's proven himself as, again, a, a good choice or alternative to Granovich if he's injured or needs a rest. So, I mean, in terms of that is good, two options to have. But to kind of go back to you, Tony, the era that happened between him and Joe Hart, and Joe Hart is a, a matter of uh, focus as well. What do you think happened there? And in terms of Joe Hart's recent perform- performances, can you see anything in that? Because in my opinion, watching him, I don't know what it is. There's a few mistakes he's made. Obviously, the RB Leipzig game when he had, I don't know what he had, glass had water in his eyes or something, trying to play that pass. It was crazy. But is there anything coming to you from that sense? Yeah, again, goalkeeper stats are, are, are even harder than sort of right-back stats. Um, and you you, traditionally, you look at clean sheets or goal conceded, but you've got some better ones now. But again, it's still limited. Um, regards the the error, I, who do you blame more, Hart or Juranovic? I think both of them have got to take blame. Um, who's who takes who takes the more? I don't know. Maybe you maybe you look at the, the goalkeeper because they've got to be shouting and commanding. Um, but I think um, I think both of them. Um, so with regards to overall. My view is, one, I don't necessarily think Hart should be dropped just now. And two, I don't think he should definitely be dropped. I, d- I definitely don't think he should be dropped for a bad pass. One one bad pass in a game. Um, but I do think um, we should definitely, as a club, be looking at, right, when's the time do we upgrade on Hart? Not just drop him for performance. Say, thanks for your performance. He's done well. He's come in. He's been steady. And a, a keeper we needed to be steady as well as all the intangible stuff the leadership he brings. Mm-hmm. But we, we definitely need to be looking because I, I like to look of Abogard on the stats and, and I actually like, like to look of his physicality and he, he's breaking up the play. But it's going to be hard to come into the team because our deep-lying midfielder needs to create a lot because our two centre-halves aren't ball-playing centre-halves and our goalkeeper isn't a, a ball-playing goalkeeper. So if we had a ball-playing goalkeeper and ball-playing centre-halves, we might get away with playing Albegard and centre-defensive midfield, which we might need to help because um, we can be weak at defending um, and supporting the centre-backs. With regards to stats, um, so looking at um, a save percentage, so uh, shots, shots against and shots saved, um, 76.2% is top and he was third last year um, and a, a better start would be in looking at the post shot XG and how many mm. goals you've conceded because that's 
that's looking at averages of what it's expected after the shots. So it's a good goalkeeping measure. Um, and he's prevented, um, well, he's actually let in one more than, he, than, than expected. So he's fifth for that. And last season, he uh, let in 0. 0.6 less than expected, but that was fifth again. So mid-table for that. So if, if there's any, anybody want to have a go at heart, they could maybe use their stats. The one that I would want to just say about passing accuracy, um, he's, he's second in the in the whole league at 92.7 for the season. There's only one player above him who's had limited minutes as King for Rangers, but he's 92.7% um, for the season. Um, and last season, he was ninth in the best goalkeeper. But So I, I think he was 93 or something like that. 94%, I think, against Leipzig. And the Leipzig goalkeepers were like, 65 and 80 or something. I can't remember, but they're a lot lower. So from passing, this whole thing about passing from the back, yeah, it made a bad error. And in that situation, if you've got nobody to pass to, you've got to go long. But I think sometimes we can overreact with that because the Leipzig keeper um, doing a, a far bigger mistake when the first goal for Shakhtar in their game when Schwed got a, a tap in from 30 yards. <laughs> um, so... I'm of the camp that um, might be overreacting a little bit um, on his passing side and the mistakes, um, and he's actually done some good saves against Leipzig. But I do think, stylistically, we we definitely need to be um, looking at upgrading, and that should that should at the, at the very least in the summer, if not in, in the January window, and that could be just a young goalkeeper who's got all the the, the skills and attributes that we want. But we need to just bed them in, and Hart's ideal for to keep the place and bed them in. But when we signed Segrist, it didn't look like because Segrist is just stylistically not that keeper we're looking um, for. Um, a good goalkeeper, but not that mm. one you're looking to see. Let's he's going to upgrade and he'll, he'll, he'll bed in. So um, yeah, I think it's a good challenge um, for the supporters to say that that we need to upgrade on Hart, but I, I don't think he necessarily needs dropped. I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of chatter on my podcast, Stuart, for uh, Segrist nine up from the individuals who, who do the podcast for myself, but viewers and even myself as well. Do, do, can you see the clamour for that? Or again, Tony's come up with obviously the stats there, and albeit he's fifth in some of his stats, which isn't that good as average. And then he was top for the save. Was that save percentage he was yes. top for? Yeah, save percentage. Yeah. Yeah. So he's 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 pulling off saves and that, but there has to be. I mean. From from my eye, there there has been mistakes. I mean, that's clear to see, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's probably worth. It's still pretty early in the season. Maybe looking at in another, you know, there's another couple of games where you, you look at maybe a couple of shots you're going to go mm, could have done better there. Maybe then then you could have a look at it. But but like Tony says, Seagrass very similar to very similar profile. <clears throat> He's not going to you know. Unless Joe Hart is really, you know, dropping off in terms of what he brings, which is a shot stopping, that's just kind of, you know, then there, there's not too much sense in that because if, if you do it, then you're breaking the kind of continuity in the back line. I think that would be a problem. Um, so, yeah, it's like Tony says, it's, it's thinking a longer term. I think for now, Hart's still fine unless the shot stopping drops off even more or other kind of parts of his game. We know he's not great with the ball at his feet. He tries. He tries his best. Um, he, he admits that. that you know, he, he knows it's not a strength arm, but he'll, he'll, he'll try it. He'll stick to the, the philosophy that the manager wants. So, yeah, I, I think now it's... I don't really see much much point in it, but it's, it's that longer-term picture. It's 
identifying somebody now that can try and bring in the summer and have a kind of a season at bedding in mm. with Hart still there. Seagrist is maybe a three. And then, um, yeah, some, somebody that's obviously better suited to, you know, the style of play the manager's got, going to want to play as well. But I think I'd be, I'd be harsh on Hart just now and let's say, it's, uh, I don't, there's not enough upside to, to that just now if the alternative is Seagrist. Stuart yeah. said it's longer term because it, it, it was surprising signing Seagrist and also giving Bain an extended contract. Do you know what I mean? And they things. Whereas if you'd have brought into Stuart, say someone who can come in as second choice but eventually get there, um, and, and maybe Seagrist or, or Bain as third choice there. But Toby Olememe from the B team yeah. has got the, got, got the attributes to be what we want in the future, but he is young for a goalkeeper. Do you know what I mean? To, to, and and maybe maybe he is he is that good. Um, he's England under nineteen goalkeeper. Do you know what I mean? Maybe he is that good that that he, they, they do see him challenging for Hearts position in a in the not too distant future. But you you don't see any evidence of that. Yeah, I think as well. This is frightening. Gary Melrose is a, a frequent commenter on our podcast, and he does love the stats as well. He often comes in. Speaking about them, and Bar- Barcast's stats were better defending the box and passing out, but occasionally a goalkeeper has to save a shot as well. That's kind of interesting to see that in terms of what his stats could bring and what he could have done if he actually turned out to be a decent goalkeeper, Tony. Barcast's stats were, were if you take a short, short stop, and Barcast's stats were really good crossing, coming for crosses, um, commanding the box, etc. etc. And even if he was just an average or an, an above-average shot stopper. There might have even been a case for giving him a, a chance, but he's probably the worst shot stopper I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and even if he was elite level for everything else, you, you have to even be, even, even in your weakest point, just um, okay or, or average, do you know what I mean? Especially yeah, short. I think, I think he was part of the team that knocked us out of the Champions League qualifier one time with uh, Athens, the, the Greek team he was at before he joined us but we'll kind of round that off and a game of 1-2-1, it was interesting to be at there Tony, but we're around a few roads there quite <laughs> good and getting the, the people watching along involved as well although there's still, probably I'd say about 40% of the commenters have no idea what we're speaking about, but as I said it's a, a learning process and people are just listening along and trying to get with it like myself by the way, people who are watching I'm learning as we're going along but Stuart, I'll come to you first here we're going to cover the, the RB, RB Leipzig game we lost 3-1, and my opinion on this, I mean, in our podcast on Friday, I said it was, we were terrible from my point of view. I thought, like, much like the Shakhtar game, I know chance-wise it was probably up there with what we created against the, the um, Shakhtar team and things like that, but the whole system at times for me looked disjointed. We looked as if we weren't as a cohesive unit as, as we always uh, like to be on the rounds. There was gaps between defence, midfield and attackers and they were picking us off at will at times. I mean, in a broad sense, Stuart, why do you think that happened? Because usually we see an Ants team and we're pressing in packs, we're, we're closing teams down. And it just seems like from my naked eye that it just didn't work against Leipzig. Yeah, it was just two big gaps in between the lines. So, you know, it was, all, it was always well-intentioned and at times pretty well executed the pressing. But if the rest of the kind of like the midfield units not coming up and if Jens and Welsh are, you know, not holding the high line that they need to hold to make the whole pressing thing work, then it doesn't matter how good that first, if they get through that first line, 
which Leipzig are a good team. You're playing at the top, top level. You're going to have to accept that they're going to break your press no matter how good it is at some point. You then have to be able to deal with that next phase, and the gaps were just far too big, and it was that was the main issue. Like I say, just, just disjointed. But in terms of performance-wise overall, and talk about XG and stuff. Up until I think at half time, it was roughly even in terms of XG. I think roughly about one each, um, and then we get the goal just after half time, and that's. Um, from that point, that was about what it was like fifty minutes or something. Jota scored. We've got one more attempt to go the rest of the game, and it's a zero point zero four xG shot from Jota on the seventy fifth minute. So, again, much like the Real Madrid game, it probably wasn't as good a performance tactically. But up until mm. that point, in terms of perform like the underlying looking at the xG, it was as good. It was another good sixty minutes, but. It's 90 minutes you've got to play for. And after that, you know, we've Leipzig have put up another two XG between there and the end of the game, or probably about one and a half between that and the end of the game. We've put up nothing. So, yeah, I think those issues tactically. And I think, again, and like Real Madrid as well, it's keeping that, um, that pressing going for the full game. It's, it's well intentioned, but. You've got to pick your moments, and maybe we're just too too eager at times, and and we're getting to sixty minutes, and we can't keep it going. And if we've got those tactical issues as well, then that's kind of yeah. I think we're well beaten in the end. I think it was eleven shots at goal inside Celtic's box in that game. So yeah. I mean, give any give up that amount to any team in Champions League, you're gonna yeah. You're not going to go really far. Uh, Andre Silva had nine shots himself. His personal XG was 1.32. So, yeah, just, yeah, really good for, uh, probably not as good as Real Madrid, but um, really good for an hour, similar to Real Madrid. But then the last half hour is just kind of falling away. And I suppose that's what the, the task will be for them. How do we, you know, how do we stay in the games longer? Because the, the stuff we're doing for that first hour is really good. You know, we're, we're taking the game to them. We're, you know, seeing when we scored the goal, but just after half time, we're still in the game. But it's how we, how how you put a full ninety minute performance and 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 in the Champions League. And got to remember this team's first time in the Champions League. Ange Postecoglou's first season in the Champions League. So they're, they're all learning, and it's yeah, it's um, it's a tough tough environment. So. Yeah, I'd rather I think, I'd rather we were trying to do it that way than you know sitting in and just try to break. You know that that is the way I think most Celtic fans would want us to approach it. But yeah, it's how we get those tweaks that take it to the next level and turn pretty decent performances into into results. Yeah, I think as well, like what you said there was quite telling. The sixty-minute mark, Tony, it seems to be the issue in Europe. Real Madrid done the exact same thing. Does the kind of obviously. On a bigger scale, in my opinion, world class players just took us apart in the end. Guy Melrose comes in, I think it's an interesting. The attack was too quick to press, and that then passed through the spaces. Need to pick and choose when the, the press quality teams. I think that is an issue, as Stuart rightly said there. The eagerness sometimes comes across, and you see O'Reilly pressing, Kugel's doing it, the wingers are doing it, and then you just have Kalmak protecting the back four, and it's, it was a massive gap at times. But And also, the, the, the coming to you as well. The attacking side of things, as Stuart rightly said, we were doing well in the first half. We can, we did have a few chances. 
We got the gold from doing what Posta Coglu wants Celtic to do in terms of winning the ball high up, Kyogo picking Jada out and scoring. But for me, there was, there was just loads of issues in that game. And I thought it was a game, for my opinion, that was winnable. What did the stats say for that? Yeah, so there's two two big things I've took from, from this. And I, I, I put two articles on my Celtic transit today uh, in relation to this. And the second point sort of is aligned with the first. So the first is, I've looked at the, the XG for both the Celtic Madrid game and the Celtic Leipzig game from 0 to 55 and then from 55 to the end of the game. So against Madrid, from 0 to 55, it's 0.86 Celtic and 0.7 Real Madrid. So Celtic are ahead 0.16 on XG um, for that first 55 minutes. And And then against Leipzig, it's um, oh, where am I? I've lost. Um, it's 0.91 for Celtic to 0.42 for Leipzig, a 0.49 differential. So, up to 55 minutes, Celtic, if you look at XGB in the performance, I know it's just one game and it's not everything, but if you, for the, if just for the purpose of this exercise, look at XGs as accurate for everything and it's a performance. For both games, after 55 minutes, we're outperforming Real Madrid and we're outperforming Leipzig. So you say to yourself, yeah. again, two quality teams, that's that that's outstanding. But when you look at the the, the next fifth so fifty-five to ninety, there's a, a 0.75 differential against Madrid and a one point eight one differential against Leipzig. And on on my, my piece on I pro ratted it for ninety minutes as well, so not to fifty five pro ratted and fifty five to ninety pro ratted, and there's a massive swing in Celtic's performance between not to fifty five, and then from fifty five to the end of the game, and then, so that that's the first thing that jumps out, really jumps out with fifty five, um, and it probably goes up, it probably goes the opposite way against Shakhtar, we we improve our differential. But what we find again against Shakhtar, we had the most possession, whereas against Real Madrid and Leipzig, they had the most possession. Yeah. So we're we're being outpossessed, um, and we are we are outperforming in 55. So the first question is why? What what's happened there? And then it's Stuart's point about the, the, the presses and things like that. So I looked at pressures. So out of all the 32 teams in the Champions League, after the first three games, Celtic are seventh for most presses per game. But Celtic are um, eight bottom out of that 32 for successful presses a game. So Celtic are pressing really high, loads and loads of presses compared to all the other teams, but they're actually not effective. They're, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so one, you, you're pressing a lot, which is going to make you tired. You're actually not winning the ball, so you're chasing it a bit more, you're making you tired. And also onto that as well, where the presses are getting done. So um, for presses in the final third, Celtic are second to Liverpool on presses in the in the in the final third. So all the presses are actually coming in the final third as well. And that's when Stuart talks about the gap between the final third and the middle third. Um, but as you look at Leipzig in our game against us, the majority of their presses came in the middle third. So. Yeah. 
for me, that was very interesting to see that actually we've got the most presses, but one of the worst performers for su- successful presses, and our presses are coming in the final third. And the only thing that jumps out is our players are just tired after 55 minutes. The team is just tired, and it's not sustainable when you've been outpossessed. Yeah, I think as well, like Stuart, what, what Tony says there makes a lot of sense because when you watch it on obviously for me on the TV and stuff like that, we do press a lot. Kyogo's like the main kind of trigger, and then you got the likes of Yada, Abada, whoever's been on the wings kind of following, O'Reilly's behind trying to cover off their defensive midfielder as well. So there is a lot of pressing, but again, you talked about tweaking um, the system a wee bit, sure, to, to get them final results, and Gary Melrose comes in. Progress for me is longer periods of dominance and taking our chances within a couple of campaigns. We should be able to compete or be able to last 90 minutes and control games. That's all well and good. I do agree with that, but I want to kind of have success this season, and that's why I'm a wee bit kind of frustrated. Uh, I, I know, I know, like you're, you're laughing there to be like, calm down, we'll, we'll get there. But a lot of the guys do as well on the podcast and stuff. But I know against Shakhtar, I thought it was two points strap. We could have took advantage of the chances we had. Leipzig, as I said, was a winnable, t- winnable time in my opinion. They were going through a period of transition with their new manager rules as well. So there's a lot of variables there. But back to the the pressing as well. Tony said that RB Leipzig done a lot of theirs in the middle third and it worked for them in terms of breaking through our lines and getting up the pitch quicker and faster with one or two passes. Do you think Celtic could take a wee bit away from that and maybe get a bit more streetways in European football? Yes. I mean, I'm just looking at some broad stats, not the full detail, and I'm not an expert by any manner. I mean, but if you were to take on the knowledge and on the, the stuff I've seen, you, you would say that, that Celtic don't need to change a lot. They just tweak some things, so maybe still press as much as the, but just re, just be more selective when they're pressing, cho- choosing the, the presses, and also yeah, could they could they think about pressing from the middle third um, or a little bit deeper than than the final third? That's just a couple of little tweaks. The other thing you've got to take into consideration is as well, Celtic performed well in the not to fifty five minutes, um, but but did but only scored one goal really. Um, and, and, and they both games. So if Celtic take their chances in the not to five minutes when we've been pressing and and we've been performing better, if Celtic take the chances, it might be a totally different game then. Yeah. What, what do you think about that, Stuart? I mean, again, you, you look at it, and some me, me personally, like I thought he made a substitutions too or too too late. Their manager rotated the team in about the 60th minute. He went into the 70th. Hans Foster Golden talking about the players were dead in their feet. I think the confidence was sucked from them as well. What, in terms of stats and pressing, did anything jump out at you that maybe we could have done differently in that game? I don't think so. It's like Tony saying, if you, if you know, if you get a bit of luck, you get one or two goals, or like you take the Real Madrid game for example, Cal McGregor shot that goes off the post. If that goes in, that was what you know, half an hour in or something. You know, totally changes the dynamic of the game. You know, it's a lot. So, um, you know, if you're 60, 70 minutes and you're one down, you're pressing, that's that's a lot harder than if you're, you know, one up and you can kind of manage the games, you can start being more selective in that press, you can kind of fall back a bit. So, yeah, it comes down to moments. In ter- but in terms of press, I think, I don't know the numbers right in front of me, but I think in general terms, our pressing across the board is kind of less than it was last season. Um, and that's been talked about in a few places um, and is that that we're trying to we are trying to be selective in terms of games that, and again you see yesterday you know 
Kyogo not getting any game time, Jota coming off at half time, trying to save their best players so that they're at their optimum for the biggest games. I think that is kind of what he's trying to do. Um, and if things have maybe fallen slightly better, you know, been on the on the better side of luck in a few of these games, it might have been a totally different picture. It's just it's fine margins in Champions League, absolutely fine margins. So, yeah, I think pressing. Um, yeah, I think we we can definitely be better in terms of how we're actually doing it, and I think we can be like Tony says, probably more selective and when we're doing it. The other thing to take into account for Leipzig as well is, yeah, I think a couple of things. One is, I think as fans, we underestimated them. The Shakhtar game we took as all Leipzig are playing poor. That was a bit of a freak game, the Shakhtar game. Shakhtar, five shots at goal, four goals, um, a a goalkeeping error and a deflection to start them off. So there's that. The other thing about going back to the pressing, Leipzig's two centre-halves are in the top five for um, passes. Um, per game at the whole with the Bundesliga players, they in their two centre halves are in the top five. So there has two centre halves that know how to, to to pass the ball. Leipzig as a as a high pressing team will know about um, how a team will press, etc. So um, they are probably from a stylistic point of view one of the hardest teams we can come up against. Um, and uh, it's just and go back to sort of expectations. If, if you look at expected position um, in the league in the group, we're, we're fourth, we're fourth pot, we're fourth seeds. So expected position's fourth. So if we get third, we've overperformed. I don't be saying that, Tony. Do not be saying that. I want to go for second place is what I want. Do you know what I mean? Third place, fair enough. But you want to raise that bar. If, if 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 we if we win um, on Tuesday and we beat Shakhtar, well, as long as Real Madrid win all their games, then we'll get second. Well, I mean, 100%. I do get what you're saying about that. I mean, we discussed it Friday. I just don't like the whole issue of relying on us banking our six points at home. We need to be challenging away from home as much as we haven't been in recent years. We need to be taking results and taking our chances when they come to us. And you spoke about their centre-halves, Tony and I, Stuart. Our centre-halves in that game were Wells and Jens. I think you spoke about Champions League margins. For me, personally, they don't belong there. What's your opinion on that one, Stuart? Well, the the third and fourth choice probably. So, in an ideal situation, the rotational options you're not going to be relying on both of them to play every game um, in a Champions League campaign. But that that's what's happened in terms of injuries. So, um, yeah, but it's harsh to say they don't belong at that level. Celtic belong at that level because won the league and you know were there on merit. So, um, in terms of in terms of Welsh. Um, it's a tricky one, I think, it's because there's been so many injuries in terms of, you know, Starfield didn't start the season, then he come in, he's got injured again, Carter Vickers has picked up a knock, Jens has just come in, came in, not not super late, but relatively late, um, integrating him. There's been a lot of chopping and changing, not just in terms of partnerships, but Welsh playing right centre-back, playing left centre-back, that's a total change for a centre-back in terms of, you know, the angles that they can pick passes and stuff like that so uh, of course it's not ideal but to be honest I don't think I don't know what you guys think, I don't think either of them were, I think Welsh has probably had poor games in the Scottish Premiership this season, I think Jens has been fine, he's been steady, I don't think he's been too spectacular Um, but in terms of on the night, I I, I don't think they were 
particularly, you know, anything for what they are for third and fourth choice. I, I, they weren't too bad, essentially. At the end of the game, I was in Leipzig, and at the end of the game, I was watching Welsh, and he had to be sort of helped up. He was an absolute knackered. He was absolutely yeah. knackered. Um, and I think, yeah, I think when you go into his stats, and I was talking about right back earlier on, when you look at individual centre-backs, it's hard to put it all on name when it's a whole team performance and as you talked about pressing and things like that, it's hard to put, put, put it on name, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier in terms of being a bit braver in terms of trusting the, the system to, to go that bit higher because um, yeah. I think that was the issue that, that, that Welsh and Jens were probably understandably scared of the threat and behind the likes of Werner and, and Kunku. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been braver in terms of their positioning and I think for Welsh and just in general, um, it's there's obviously, because there was chat that there was an opportunity that they, there was bids for him over the summer that he could have moved them on. Postacoglu maybe sees that there is something there and I think we've seen, he is good on the ball, he can, but it's it's everything else, and it, that, like you say, like Tony says, he's coming off. He's at because that that that's the, the highest level, and you know that's and he's still a young player. So, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't be overly critical, but it's it's understandable that people can maybe get frustrated seeing that. But in an ideal situation, that's Carter Vickers and and uh, Starfield that are there. But it's unfortunate there's not much you can do about that. Injuries are going to happen. Stuart said about that sort of pushing the line, and you see that on the sort of average formation line by 15 minutes, the, the 45 to 60 when it really dropped back. And that's what Andy said in his comments. He says we, we can feel the goal coming. We've just sort of we've scored the goal, and it's maybe just been a bit of panic. And, and Stuart said that's probably the bit you could be critical. We just we just defended too deep and just um, um, panicked then. Yeah, I think as well. I think I've seen a a stat, funny enough, that uh, Stephen Welsh had a really good kind of solid game in terms of interceptions and tackles won and that type of stuff. He, I think he was has for us, obviously, compared to Jens. But to come back to you, Tony, I mean, maybe myself, I'm a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction guy and you kind of, you know already, I know why you're laughing, but you, you kind of watch these uh, these games and you kind of make reactions off the cuff and watching that partnership for me, it was, uh, I thought the this is what I mean when I say disjointed. I thought that one of them was pushing high. They, they weren't kind of talking to each other. It seemed like there was no communication. They were both really wide. But do you think that changes as well? I'm going off a wee bit of a tangent here, but do you think that changes when Fickers comes in? That one of them could play alongside him, for example, and look better? Because Carter Fickers himself is our best centre-half. So, effectively, he should rub off on someone like them. Absolutely, because a lot of these stats are you're measuring um, an individual and it's like who they're playing alongside. We talked about this a fortnight ago when we were talking about Moy, and yet Moy, all of Moy's time was never with playing alongside Hatati and O'Reilly, our two best other players, so that's unfair to judge Moy. So it's the same um, judging Welsh alongside um, Jens and Jens alongside Welsh. You want to measure, measure their performance when they're alongside the best centre-half, Carter mm-hmm. Vickers, so um, a bit... I, th- I thought James was okay when he's when I first seen him at the start of the season. I thought he would be pushing maybe staff out for that for that um second position, but um he seems to be sort of um going backwards a bit from, from the start. Yeah, I mean we'll kinda of round it off. Obviously we lost the, the European game, but uh we kinda of want, want to talk about Greg Taylor. We do a wee bit of player focus as well. And I think Stuart is his kind of rise again, much like Ralston, is brilliant to see. 
I mean, Postal Club News referred to him as like a leader within the camp. Obviously, Callum McGregor is injured. Well, he's going to be injured until after the World Cup. Hopefully, he'll be back. Um, but you look at Greg Taylor. I mean, myself personally, and John, who's on the podcast, we're always saying we could do better than him and do all that type of stuff. But maybe at the moment, he's the best we can get and he's doing a good job, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. He's, uh, and he has taken his, let's say, taken his game at a level. Some of his numbers are up on last season. So, yeah, I took a look at a, a couple of things on Taylor. So, comparing, so on, look on stats bomb, he's 8.3. So, he's 740 odd minutes of football, league football this season compared to 20 odd games last season. Uh, and some of some of these bits and pieces are up. So looked at um, so deep progressions. So that's from Statsbomb. That's a combination of passes, dribbles, and carries into the opposition third. So this was before this weekend's game. So looked at this kind of the end of last week. So for every Scottish Premiership player that's played a minimum of 300 minutes, uh, Taylor's got the most. So in terms of his importance to the the progression from the back and how he he, he absolutely he's probably one of the first ones that really took to the system in terms of that inverted role and coming inside it just suits his game because he was never as a traditional fullback he was never going to you know a lot of people's issues with him that he was never going to take his man on he was never going to get to the byline and whatever cross in the system that Postcoggle has put in when he's when he's come in just has suited Taylor to that to absolute T and and he was good last season and he's 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 good again this season and like I say the numbers coming up so he was 10.37, um, sorry, 8.20 uh, deep progressions per 90 last season, uh, and that's up at 10. And like I say, that based on the end of last week, that was the most of any Scottish Premiership player. Um, in terms of another one, XG build up, so that's beyond XG, unfortunately, that's going <laughs> to make it even more complicated. <laughs> I don't even want to know, don't even know if I want to go down this road, but anyway, go, ahead, go for it. Go so for expect so right, basically so expecting XG build up is trying to take so basically so you get XG from that's your shots, you get expected assists or that's bomb, it's XG assisted, that's your assist. So um XG build up and XG chain, and there's another slightly different one, tries to take to put a value on everyone that's involved in that move up until the shot. So taking away the take away the shot and take away the assist from that move, who's involved? Who's making that that third and fourth pass? Who's making those passes that are breaking the lines? That kind of thing. So uh, Taylor's up on that from last season again. Um, it's one point two four. Um, that's the fourth highest in the league. The other three are Celtic players: Hatati, Abada, and actually Jens. So Jens has been good progressing the ball from the back as well. Um, so that's just another one. In terms of these other stats are kind of much the same. Um, but those two kind of jumped out because obviously they're, they're about ball progression. They're about, you know, that he is really important in how we build up play coming into that inverted role. And mm. I think I, I look on Scout as well. So they've got a metric second assist. So that is literally the last pass before the, the pass or the action that creates the shot. So he had... Um, five of them in all competitions last season. He's got four of them already this season. So that was, he had two at Ross County. Um, he had uh, the one in the, the derby against um, that Matt O'Reilly kind of directed on it a bad at the back post. Um, and he had Kelly away, which was a kind of perfect example. Came right in, right in field, right in the line, uh, again, turned and uh, 
put it in behind for Maeda or run on to, to pass for, for Kyogo. So, yeah, um, interesting, obviously, again, trying to step on toes about for your guys tomorrow about yesterday's game. But um, I thought Bernabe was quite good yesterday, so it's just interesting that we've brought in, and again, you putting it, coming back to the Juranovic Ralston thing. Like I say, I think Bernabe's, he's not had, you know, he's not only had the impact in the first 11, but he's clearly had an impact on Taylor. He's had to raise his game because he's taken a bit of time to settle. Understandably, he's a young player from South America, it's going to take a bit of time, but he's obviously got a lot of qualities. He's, he looks quicker, he looks. Like he, he will have the potential to play that role effectively as well in terms of coming inside and he he, he done that probably more than Ralston did yesterday. So yeah, interesting one in, like, talking about leadership, that's quite an intangible, not one you can put um a number on. But yeah, really important, especially with with Cal McGregor being being out. He's he's really, you know, taking on a leadership role in that team. It's it's clear to see. Yeah, I think and in my podcast, we all refer to him as Gregory. So the Gregory Taylor, like so, he's a he, he is a good player, Tony. And there's a, a comment here as well about his performance in European football by Gary Melrose that the Leipzig fullback on where exposed Taylor's uh, physical limitations and height and speed. Still an excellent fullback, but needs cover against lightning fast monsters. Of course, there's still room for improvement in him. But I think what Stuart said there, like all them stats, he, he's really high up. He's first in some areas. I think when Postecoglou came in, he was a bit probably one of them players who wouldn't really cared if we let go. But he, he's took the bull by the horns. He's bought into the system. He's a first pick. Burnaby obviously he's took time to settle in, even though he played well yesterday. It's all the signs for me are pointed to him being, being a fatal member of the Celtic uh, team at the minute. Like, yeah, I mean, I love these stats from Stuart. So thanks for that. Um, I think <laughs> the more advanced we go, the better we get a picture because if we do it. It's like. I mean, you're trying to understand the importance to the team, just the ones that Stuart's saying about sort of progressing the ball. That's important, do you know what I mean? Really important to the team. Um, and but there's also so if you look at it's interesting when you're watching the game, yeah, Taylor does look exposed because of that pace when you're up against you're up against another level. And on one hand, you could say actually Taylor looks exposed, but he's one of your best players so far this season. Mm-hmm. So you're like, so, but is that just maybe it's different position or? Is maybe Taylor, yeah, he's exposed, but he will learn in the Champions League. Like he has, he's the most improved player at the club. Do you know I mean the way he's improved over, right through the, the the sort of Lennon years? You know what I mean as well. He's, he's improved every year. So and and there's one that I didn't rate, but I just love him more and more because it's it just you see that improvement, that um, a, the leadership, the desire to win as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, so. Yeah, it's it's one of the ones where yeah he could be exposed, but maybe that was just against who he was up against that night. I know, um, I I think Duco James was was talking about that before about actually the Leipzig game right at the start, like Taylor's going to be up against um uh, the speed of their forwards. So, um, but no, I I think I think he, he he's he's improved and well. We just need to to continue involved. It's a journey. So Ange, we Ange, um, he took us on that journey last year with the um, the league. This is year two of retaining it, and then and the Champion League is just as it's just learning as well. Do you know what I mean? So um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, 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 it's sorry, um, Stephen, just on that the stylistic, but um, and and how it's important to us about the build up and take the progressive and, and Taylor. 
I, I'm not one to jump against Stuart said um, on a yesterday, but um, Haxabana, I know, but I agree, Bernard was 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 a uh, one of the, the standout players, but Haxabanovic, not just because he performed well, but just offering something different and something missing in that role, um, as as they sort of O'Reilly role, but offering something different there. Um, and I had some stats, but we'll not talk about them. But um, because of that game, but um, but yeah, I think just looking at how how the team can develop, not so much as an individual player, but how that that individual stats can help the team develop. I think Hatzabanovic was a real find in that position yesterday. Yeah, I thought he performed well in that number ten role. To be honest with you, Tony, he, he definitely did offer something different. He was drifting, like in a free yeah, room kind right. of role. I'd, I'd done that yeah. on my sort of match report about how O'Reilly was mostly in the right um, when he's put in that position where Haxabanovic was on the left, he was on the right. Um, even his accuracy at 91% in that position, was, was uh, that's really high um, in the amount of passes. So um, I think um, that's interesting to see that we've, we've found that little bit of something different to help the team. Yeah, 100%. We are an RN, fellas, so we'll round off the podcast and I'll come to you, Stuart, first. Have you enjoyed it, buddy? Yeah, no, it's been good. Good man. Brung some cracking stats there, like all them stats for him and why scout, like unbelievable. And Tony yourself, buddy, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, I loved it. Um I just want to say I know you um don't like my pessimism, Stephen. That's just because I'm a wee bit older and and um just trying to be a bit balanced. But we're well, maybe I, not I, a good combination then. I <laughs> 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 I, I, um, I predicted I do the wee, the wee preview for 20 minute terms and I predicted for the Leipzig game a 3-1 scoreline um, for Leipzig. So I got that right um, with my pessimism. But uh, my prediction for this one in the 20 minutes uh, preview um, is that the 2-1 the offered for Celtic for a home win um, is what I would be saying is value. I think um, as much as we're up against a good team um, and... Um, we dropped off. I think we're at home, and we if, if we can continue um, that performance in that first fifty-five and get a goal at home, then um, uh, I, I think I, I still think um, it's a hard game. But I think yeah. um, um, the bookmakers might have um, given a bit of value there at two to one Celtic. Yeah, and as always, bet responsibly, folks. Thanks for filling that yeah. one in. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the kind of take this show on a different term before we end I wish Frank McGarvey and his family well in this battle with cancer we're all behind you and I wish everyone yeah. well involved in that family, friends and Sabby Football Club but until next time which will be two weeks again hopefully a Thursday but if it's a Sunday who cares <laughs> Stats Trap will be back and I think we'll have a, maybe three games to talk about this time so Strap in there'll be more XG chat more XA chat it'll be brilliant but until then Stay well and keep safe. Hill, hill.